you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 23. And um, we're going to continue on in this. Thank you again for being here. If you're a guest, we are thankful you are our guest this morning. And uh, we're walking through the book of Acts, talking about the church. We've been doing this for quite some time now. But, uh, man, I don't know if there's any uh, more, more relevant of a time for us to be going through this than right now. Uh, because the great need in our world, in our nation, is for the church to be the church, I believe. Um, that's what uh, we're seeing go on. But last week we saw two very important points. And uh, we celebrated our independence as a nation. And uh, we're reminded, and based off of the Apostles Paul's experience, of a couple things. The first thing that we talked about was we must guard against using our liberty selfishly or pridefully. And again, we, we have a lot of freedom in America. We have a lot of blessings in our freedom. And so we've got to guard against using that uh, selfishly, prideful, even fleshly. Um, we, we saw the Apostle Paul himself um, kind of speak out against the high priest whenever the high priest ordered him to be smacked on the mouth. And he didn't, he didn't understand who he was talking to. Uh, maybe in a moment of emotion, maybe in a, motion, uh, a moment in his Roman uh, citizenship, maybe in his pride, spoke out. And then he again apologized and kind of walked back on that. The second point we saw was this then we must genuinely seize every opportunity for the gospel. We must genuinely seize every opportunity for the gospel. And uh, just as we've seen him through time and time again, every circumstance he's in, try to use that for the gospel cause. And that's exactly what he was doing uh, there before these Jews. They didn't like what he had to say uh, because he said that he had lived his life basically honestly before the Lord up until this day. And uh, again, they didn't like that at all. They didn't like even more that he had said that he had gone to witness. God had sent him to the Gentiles to speak. So they, they wanted Paul gone. They wanted him dead. They don't want him on this earth at all. And so we're going to move forward in this study this morning. Gave, again, a couple other, I think, important applicable lessons in our life today. But verse 12 is where we pick up. It says, When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. So again, think about this. This guy has done nothing criminally wrong. He's not even done anything wrong according to the law. But according to their tradition in the law, they thought he had messed up completely. Again, they had assumed that he had brought the, these Gentiles into the, uh, the, the, the court of the Jews. They, they were completely off on what they thought about Paul. But they, they were driven by this. And in this, they were ready to kill him. They, they were so ready to kill him that they said they, they had bound themselves under an oath that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Man, that's a lot of disdain. That's a lot of hatred. That's a, that's a big motivation. Look at what it goes on to say. There were more than 40 who formed this plot. 40 Jews, religious leaders, wanted Paul dead so bad that they took this oath, this vow. And it's interesting that this, the word in this is anathema, in the Greek. And the word anathema is basically a curse. So they placed themselves under their own curse but to see, see to it that Paul would be killed. So they came to the chief priest and the elders and said, we've bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now therefore you and the council notify the commander, the, the Roman commander, to bring him down to you. Tell him you got to examine him some more, as though you were going to determine his case by a more thorough investigation. And we, for our part, are ready to slay him before he comes near the place. Well, look what happens. 
But the son of Paul's sister, so his nephew, heard of their ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Lead this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. So he, he took him in and led him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner called me to him and asked me to lead this young man to you since he's in, uh, he has something to tell you. So the commander took him by the hand and took him privately and stepped to the side and began to inquire of him privately, what is it that you have to report to me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down tomorrow to the council, as though they were going to inquire so somewhat more thoroughly about him. Like they got to ask him some more questions and find out, you know, and, and reveal to you just how, how, how bad of a guy this is and how he needs to die. So do not listen to them, the, his nephew said. But there's more 40 of them that are lying in wait for him to, uh, who have bound themselves under a curse. There's the word, it's the same word, oath, curse. Not to eat or drink until they slay him. And now they are ready and waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man go, instructing him, tell no one that you've notified me of these things. And he called of, of him two of the centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night Proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. This guy, again, you have to remember, he's already kind of messed up a little bit by beating Paul before he knew he was a Roman citizen. He's already trying to, to, to walk on eggshells a little bit so that he doesn't lose his citizenship that he purchased. He's trying to be very careful on how he approaches this prisoner who has not been convicted of any crime. So he says, I'm not going to let these Jews do this. And then it come, up, come out later that he was a Roman citizen. And I did this. I need to do everything I can do to protect this guy and make sure I kind of pass the buck, if you will. You'll see what happens. So they were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. So he wants, the, he wants this to go up and uh, be basically put on Felix. So he wrote a letter, and it went like this. Claudius Lysias. To the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him, <laughs> having learned that he was a Roman. Now, this is exactly the way government operates still today, isn't it? I don't know if you caught that, but he's writing this letter to the governor, his boss, and making himself sound really good. Because if you remember the story, he comes down because there was a commotion. These, these, these people were trying to tear Paul apart. He grabs him. He can't find out what's going on. So what did he do? He ordered him to be scourged. He ordered him to be flogged so that he can find out what's, what's going on with this guy. And then Paul says, hey, is it, is it lawful for you to, to do this to a Roman citizen? He was like, oh, uh-oh. And uh, so then, you know, he, he's, he's walking back. The centurion uh, doesn't like what's, what's happening. Uh, tells tells the, the commander, what are you doing? You're trying to, you know, get us both killed or whatever. Um, so he's making himself sound really good. Look, I came down. I rescued this guy out of these Jews. I found out he was a Roman, protected him ever since. I, I wanted to ascertain the charge for which they were accusing him, so I brought him down to their council. And, and, and I found him to be accused over questions about their law. So it's a religious issue. But under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. Remember where he was. He was in the barracks. When I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, 
also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. Wow, that guy made himself sound like a hero in this situation, right? So the soldiers, in accordance with their orders, took Paul, and they brought him by night to uh, Antip- uh, Antipatris. Uh, but the next day, leaving the horsemen to go on with him, they returned to the barracks. When these had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when he read it, he asked from what province he was. And when he had learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing after your accusers arrive also, giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. That's a lot for somebody to go through who has done nothing but be obedient to the cause of Christ. Now, we understand that he had maybe a moment there where he spoke out against the, the high priest and he said, you know, how dare you smite me, on, you know, how you, you know, go against the law by ordering me to be smacked on the mouth. But other than that, the Apostle Paul has been obedient to the call. He's been obedient to the faith. There's so many points that we can draw for this, but this morning I want to look at two, and it's amazing how Brother Tony was sharing the scriptures he did in Ephesians chapter 3. It's amazing how we, we uh, sang the song, Nothing He Can't Do, My Hope Is Built. I mean, it's amazing how God works these things out because these points this morning are so important for us to, I think, not only have right now, but moving forward as the church in this world. The first point is this, Satan's schemes are effective but only within the bounds of God's sovereignty. Satan's schemes are effective, but only within the bounds of God's sovereignty. See, Satan will use anything and anyone at any time to accomplish his plan. But here's the amazing part about it. Only as God allows. Satan, again, he's he's not below using anybody, above using anybody. He'll use anybody at any time in any way that he can. He'll use the people closest to you. He'll use uh, the, 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 the things in your life that you hold dear. He'll, he'll use anything and everything that he wants to and that he can to accomplish this plan. But the encouraging part for us is he, he can only do that as God allows. And say, so, yeah, that's good and great, but man, Satan has been doing some amazing things, some, some, some horrible things, not only in our world, but maybe you're here this morning saying, in my life, in our life. Satan seems to be having a heyday. And I think the, the most difficult thing for some is understanding God's goodness and God's justice in the midst of such wicked schemes, right? You look at the world and some of the things that have even happened recently and say, how, how can, can Satan have the freedom and liberty to do some of these wicked and vile things that he's doing in the world and God still be in control and still be good and still be just? How is this possible? I know we got some young people in here, we got some young adults in here, and there's a world around you that is swirling and I believe spiraling to, to, to immorality and wickedness. And, and it's trying to teach you and train you that there are things that are acceptable that, 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 that you should accept in your life, even though God strictly and clearly speaks against it. So how how does Satan work so effectively? And why, if God is sovereign, does he allow this to happen? Again, you don't have to look very hard and very long around you. The hurt, the sadness, the evil, the immorality, the celebration of wickedness is evident in our world. And then knowing 
and, and, and understanding that God is sovereign, many people ask, why? Why does God allow that? If God is all-powerful and God is all-knowing and God is omnipresent, He's present everywhere, and he, and, he, and he is absolutely in control, then why does God allow that? Why, why didn't God do something whenever these innocent people were slaughtered? Why didn't God do something when this, this wickedness is celebrated and promoted and plastered everywhere? Some, sometimes people ask that question, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't he act like this right now? I believe there's a major part missing in this. In this questioning. In this philosophy, why doesn't God do something? And here's a major element. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. That by God's order, the consequences of sin exist. The greatest consequence of all, of course, we know, is a wage, and the wage is death. Sometimes those consequences we have in this world because of sin pour over into the lives of others who maybe had nothing to do with that sin directly. And with our limited view that we have, we have limited understanding. So we can watch the TV, we can read a news report, we can see what's going on, and we can, we can wonder in ourselves, yes, I know that sin has consequences. Yes, I know that, that, that the greatest consequence is a wage, and, which is sin. I understand that, that that is, but I just don't understand how God can allow and even use the suffering of some to advance his good and just cause. How can God do that? How can God allow the suffering and, 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 and the defilement of, 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 of seemingly innocent people and that somehow work out to his will and his, his good cause? See, in a, in a fallen world that Satan has power over right now, and I want to remind you, that's what Scripture says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, and when you once walked, following the course of this world, listen to what it says, following the prince of the power of the air. It's talking about this, this, this heaven. The spirit that is now work, at work in the sons of disobedience. The Bible calls him the God of this world. So in a fallen world that Satan has power right now, sin and consequences everywhere. It's everywhere. But please hear me, that makes the gospel, the interposition of God into this fallen world, amazing. This also makes our call and our mission, I believe, that much more vital when we understand this. Be the light. Be the salt. Go and make disciples. It's also a perspective that's vital in all of this. And I want to read this, Job chapter 1, because we, we miss so much. You can, you, many of you probably read Job. You know the story of Job. But there, there's so much in this story that is, is right in line with what this point says. Job chapter 1 says, There was a man in the land, land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. This guy was following the Lord. He was walking by faith and, and, and man's standard. And then according to God, he was being just and righteous in his life. Seven sons, three daughters were born to him. This guy had a big family. He was blessed by earthly standards. Look what happens. His possessions, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, five yoke of oxen, five, five, I'm sorry, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. This guy was living the American dream, we would say. 
This guy had a big family, lots of possessions, lots of blessings on this earth. His sons used to go, uh, go out and hold a feast in, in each house, in the house of each one, each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Listen, every night they had a family dinner. There were seven sons. Every night they had a family dinner. They would invite the whole family over to one son's house each night of the week. And when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, you know what Job would do? He would sin and consecrate them. He'd rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And this is why he did it. Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So Job was trying to intercede for his family. This guy was a passionate follower of the Lord. He seemingly was doing everything right, was blessed in this world. God had his hand on him. You look at this guy's life and say, man, if there's somebody you need to kind of follow in his footsteps, it's Job. But look what happens. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves for the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered to the Lord, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. See, Satan has that, that freedom, that liberty, because he's the prince and the power of the air, the God of this world. He has that. So the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? You come, you come to, the, to my throne. You've, you've obviously come for a reason. And, of course, God knows everything. You, you, you've thought about trying to have your way with my servant Job, haven't you? There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan answered to the Lord, but does Job fear God for nothing? There's obviously a reason that Job fears you so greatly. I mean, look at his life. Look at all that he has. He's ten kids. They have great families. Everything's wonderful. Everybody's healthy. Nobody has any problems. No merit issues. People are, I mean, he's got all kinds of possessions. He's got money. He's got stuff. I mean, of course. Why wouldn't Job, you know, have reverence for you? His life is amazing. He also just made this hedge about him in his house and all that he has on every side. Haven't you done that, God? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions that increased in the land. But hey, put, I've seen, I can imagine Satan saying, I've seen this before. You, you bless somebody, God. You, you, you put a hedge of protection around them. You look at their life, and it's like everything they touch turns to gold. It's, their, their life is amazingly blessed, but I've seen it happen. You touch their life, struck them with an illness. Strike them with this and see if they don't start getting bitter. See if they don't curse you to your face. That's what he says. Touch, touch all that he has and surely he'll curse you to your face. Satan, then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Again, think about this. This guy was faithful to God. This guy, he had reverence for God. He served God. He went over and, abo over and above. He, he was interceding for his kids. Even if his kids hadn't seen, he said, perhaps they have done this. So I'm going to intercede on behalf of my sons. He was doing all these things. Obviously, why did God do this? Why did God allow this? So blessed, so, so faithful. But God says to Satan, everything, look what those words say, everything he has, everything on this earth that he has is in your power. You just can't touch him. That's amazing. That's amazing. You have, you can do whatever you want to with every earthly possession he has, every earthly blessing he has. What does that include? We're about to see. 
So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking, remember every, every night they had this family dinner, drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, Oxen were plowing and, and donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans attacked them and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword. Now I alone have escaped to tell you while he was in the middle of telling the story, another came also and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still saying this about these things, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, and they made a raid on the camels, and they took them. They slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came, said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the older brother's house, oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness, the desert. I struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they all died. Except for me, I alone have escaped to tell you. And Job arose. I, I, look, you can read this story just like you can read a novel, but this was a real guy. These were his real family members. These were his real kids. This was his, his whole life, his whole livelihood. Every bit of livestock, everything that he made money from, every way he could make money, every way he supplied uh, and provided for his family, along with every single member of his family except for his wife. Everything is gone. All in one story. As one person was saying, another person came, another person came, another person came. All of it gone in one instant. Job arose and tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he worshiped. It's a crazy thing to do, right? How are you going to worship right now? Aren't you going to ask God why? Aren't you going to blame God? Aren't you going to, you know, you're going to get out there and start, you know, figuring out how you're going to put your life back together? What are you, why are you worshiping? He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. See, as I said a while ago, perspective is key, and perspective is key in the battle that we are in in this world. Knowing and remembering who the enemy is, is key. See, Job knew that God was the one that blessed him with everything that he had in the first place. Every child he had, every possession he had, every breath he was breathing, Job knew this is a blessing from God. I did not earn it. I don't deserve it. All of it is a gift from God. God blessed me with it, so his name is blessed in the giving, and his name is blessed if he takes it away. But oftentimes, if the enemy can get you to attack the members of your own family, your own team, or even blame the one who has blessed you in the first place, he's got the battle won. He didn't have to do anything else. Now, if he can get you and your spouse at odds with each other, he can kind of step back for a little while. If he, if he can get you at odds with a member, uh, another member in this church, he can kind of step back for a while. I'll just let that fester for a little while. I'll just let that go for a little bit. Let's see how, let's see how, how their kids love mom and dad always like this. Let's see how, 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 how effective that church is if they, they're always just bickering and griping and complaining about each other. 
He really doesn't have to do a whole lot more sometimes. That's, that's why his, his schemes that he spins in the church are so effective. Because people lose perspective in the attacks. The enemy comes against you personally, comes against your family, comes against you in a ministry, comes against you in the church, and people forget who the battle is actually against. Church family members can turn against each other. The enemy sits back and says, I, I didn't even have to send outside sources to make them ineffective. They're tearing themselves apart. They can't get beyond envy and strife and contention. They can't get beyond jealousy and revenge among themselves. They're not going to do anything significant for God, so I've done my part, the enemy says. They're more consumed with themselves. They're more consumed with their stuff and holding on to it. With their life and their hobbies, their entertainment, they're not really a threat to impact my kingdom for God's. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so, that you'll, not be able to, so you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the rulers against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly place, places. Therefore, in light of this, in light of the fact that the, 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 the battle, the struggle is not with flesh and blood, but it's against evil forces, the God of this world, the prince of the power of this air, he's the one that has worked. Yeah, but it's this group, it's this political party. No, he's just using them. Yeah, but it's this person who did this on this day. No, he's just using them. Yes, the flesh, yes, we have our flesh. Yes, that factors in. But Satan is the clear enemy. So it's in light of the fact that you need to maintain this perspective that Satan is the one behind it. He's the puppet master. You need to take on the full arm of God so you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. Having girded your loins with truth. There it is. Make sure that you every day are preparing for battle by having the truth about you. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and feet, uh, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, ready to give the gospel to everybody. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith. And that's how you're going to be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, protect your mind, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You need to be praying for one another all the time with, 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 with faithfulness, perseverance, endurance. And then Paul says this, and pray on my behalf. This is the Apostle Paul. That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with, my, with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. That in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. The Apostle Paul was suffering for the cause of the gospel. And he's telling them, listen, this is how you make it through. This is how we're making it through. 
1 Peter chapter 5, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Listen, if you're not in the Word of God every day, if you're not praying every day, not just for yourself, but for your family, interceding as Job was for his, if you're not praying for your family members in this church, the enemy already has a foot ahead of us. You are not going to stand in the the evil day. You will not stand unless you take the whole arm of God on. He will... uh, man, there's a, I've, I've talked about this in our, in our Adult Connect book, uh, group, and I've, um, I may have shared it in here before. There's a, there's a book that kind of gives you really good insight. Uh, I'm not saying it's like a doctrinal, so don't walk in. Brother Kyle said, we do, but it's called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And it, it's just a, if, you ever, if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. It kind of gives you a, a good uh, uh, introspection on... Um, maybe what the demonic world looks like and how the, the enemy works. But at one point in time, the, 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 uh, the uncle's telling him, hey, listen, uh, don't do anything right now. It sounds like the patient is already just too distracted. He's, he's, he's already too busied himself with, with stuff and, and, and money and all this kind of stuff. You don't need to do anything. And somehow that, sometimes that's how the enemy works. But make no, there's no doubt about this. John chapter 10, Jesus said this very clearly. The thief comes only, only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Satan has a scheme. He has a plan. And in this plan, his schemes are very effective. But though we have to be encouraged to know that that's only within the allowance of God Almighty, only within the sovereignty of God. And while we may not understand that, we, we may say, man, I, I just don't understand. If, if I'm faithful to church, I am reading my Bible every day. Man, I, I'm, I'm trying to witness to people. I'm inviting people to church. I'm trying to raise my kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm trying to do this. Why did this happen to our family? Why did this happen to me? Why did this come at me like this? You need to remember, sometimes that is within the scope of God's, God's will and inside of his sovereignty. And I think point number two is so important in understanding this as well. Suffering sometimes is the path that God allows to further his kingdom. Suffering sometimes is the path that God allows to further his kingdom. So the apostle Paul Remember, hasn't done anything sinful or wrong, inherently sinful or wrong to bring him to this place. Of course, he was still a sinner. Of course, he had had messed up. But he hadn't done anything to, to, to violate the will of God and the call of God in his life. He was being faithful. He was being obedient. And it led him to this place of suffering. He's already been flogged. He's already been put in prison. They've already tried to tear him apart. They've already wanted to stone him to death. They have a plot for his life. All because of what? Because he's being obedient. He's suffering. See, we have in our Western mindset this skewed idea, and a lot of it comes from, I think, um, false doctrines, that, man, if you are faithful to God, your life is going to be the American dream. And if at any point in time you don't, you're not experiencing the American dream, then even the things of God can be compromised to maintain the American dream. You've got to have stuff. You got to be happy. 
You've got to do what you want to be able to do. And that's absolutely against what God has called us to. Because sometimes suffering is the path that God allows to further his kingdom. And sometimes it's difficult for us to wrap our mind around this. Especially when others who are seemingly doing the same thing we are don't have to suffer or suffer the way that we do. You look at somebody who deals with a chronic illness, a chronic disease. Well, they're they're faithful to God and, and they're trying to serve God and they're being faithful to share the gospel. Why are they having to suffer? And this person isn't necessarily giving their all for Christ and they don't hardly ever seem to suffer physically. Sometimes we have a hard time understanding that. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, still talking about the enemy, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Sometimes there's suffering that goes on in our world that somehow, even in the midst of the wickedness and the unrighteousness and the suffering, sometimes of seemingly innocent people, somehow that can further God's plan. And I've read this recently, I've, I've used it often about, I love this chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case, those who are perishing, those who are dying and going to hell, in, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let, uh, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of glory of God in the, in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in, in these earthen vessels, these earthly bodies, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way. But we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We've not lost hope. Persecuted, but we know God hasn't forsaken us. We've been struck down, but not ultimately destroyed. Always caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Think about this. He says we're always going from one town to the next. Being stoned, thrown in prison, cast out of the city. We're always being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh because that's what it's about. So it works like this. Death works in us, life works in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, church, so that the grace which is spread, spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, this, with this purpose in mind, we don't lose heart. Even though our outer man is, is falling apart, it's, it's dying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. The Apostle Paul said, look, even though we're being stoned and persecuted and falsely accused and, and all of this negativity in the course of obeying the Lord, our inner man is being renewed every day. Because we know the momentary light affliction that we go through is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond 
all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, just to give you a little insight, said, yeah, but the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul. He, he was kind of a super Christian. You know, he was kind of a super person. You know, he had a different mindset, a different perspective, and, but that's because God called him to be an apostle. He was, you know, he, it's different. Listen, he was a person. He was a real person. He felt real emotions. He had real struggles. You can read Romans chapter 7 to see the struggles, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we, we get a little glimpse into how they felt at times. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundance through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. See this perspective? Paul realized, look, I'm just a vessel. Whatever God gives to me is something he gives to me. If he takes it away, he takes it away. Same mindset as Job. He said, look, my life is simply to be used to be a blessing to others. Isn't it weird how we, we, we live backwards? Like we have that as a thought and we say that as a Christianese, you know? We don't always live like that. Paul was saying, look, we suffer, it's so you can have the example. We, we're comforted so that you can be comforted too. Our hope is for you uh, is firmly grounded, grounded knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also uh, you are sharers of our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia. So I want to let you know, we had a real affliction that we were, listen to what he says, burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. We thought we were going to die. The, the apostle Paul had real emotions. He, they really thought we, we, they were going to die. He said, we were so burdened. We were so persecuted. We were so afflicted that, that we were beyond ourselves. We were just ready to die. We thought we were going to die. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. We had already said we're going to die. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us according to his will. He on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through your prayers, so that the thanks, so that thanks may be given by many persons on your behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. We get sick and we ask, why me? We lose our job. Why us? We lose a loved one. Why didn't God heal them? He healed another person's loved one. Why didn't he heal mine? Paul no doubt knew that Peter had been delivered a couple times from imprisonment. He knew that they were put in prison and that the, the, the gates of the prison would be open. 
and Peter would go free. Paul knew those stories. That Paul's in prison. God, why don't you do this for me? God, why, don't you, why are you shaking prison doors for me? <laughs> you know, I've, I've left everything, and I'm traveling all over. Peter hadn't traveled like me. Peter just stayed at home in Jerusalem. And he got let out a couple times. I'm staying in one prison. Now I'm being sent to another prison. God, why won't you open the prison doors for me? And then maybe the internal battles, right? Maybe I deserve this because the way I treated Jesus and his church. Maybe, maybe the Lord's not opened prison, and do- prison doors for me because while Peter cursed the Lord and denied that he knew him, knew him he came back to him. And maybe that's the only thing that Peter did wrong except for cutting off that guy's ear. But other than that, I mean, maybe, maybe that's all that Peter did wrong. I, okay, maybe God, I deserve this. I, I, okay, I get it. I, I deserve it. I, I was killing your people and I was persecuting your church. Okay, I mean, again, right, we get those internal battles sometimes. Maybe you're dealing with something in your life and you're like, maybe I deserve this. I haven't been faithful to the Lord, and I, I, I haven't done this. And maybe those are true, and maybe God uses it in, in some, some way as a correction in your life, but sometimes we make it all about us. Maybe Paul would have had trouble singing the song we sing, The Father's House, right? It says, prison doors fling, fling wide, <laughs> the dead come to life. Maybe Paul would be like, I can't sing that. It's not opening prison doors for me. Paul was lost before. Paul was saved now. This type of attack would fall under our first point. Sometimes Satan's schemes are really effective, but they're only within the confines of God's sovereignty. Had Paul not endured this, had Paul not kept the right perspective, please hear me, the people along the way wouldn't have been impacted for the gospel of Christ like they were. And the same is true for the stories that are going on in our lives right now. And so I'm dealing with this right now, and that's all I can think about. No, stop. God doesn't want you to be drowned in the midst of your suffering. He he doesn't want you to be completely consumed, like Job wasn't completely consumed. Yeah, he he, he mourned. He, he, He hurt for the loss of his family. Those are real emotions he felt, but he didn't lose perspective. God gave me these blessings. God took them away. God's name is still to be blessed and to be worshipped, regardless of what I have or don't have on this earth, regardless of what the enemy comes and takes away from me. It's about him. It's about his kingdom. And even if he allows suffering in my life, somehow I trust that God is going to even use the suffering I go through to further his kingdom. Had Paul not been led down this path, you and I wouldn't be reading his example today. And I want to encourage you this morning as I'm done. I know people are dealing with different things, and maybe we have even greater struggles and suffering ahead of us, even as a people in this nation. And we have got to hold fast to the Word of God. We've got to make sure that we are girding our loins about with truth and that we're taking on the shield of faith, that we're putting on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, that we're prepared to go and share the gospel of peace, that, that we are ready for battle because the enemy is not going to let up. 
He's going to continue to come at you and your family. He's going to continue to come at your mind. He's going to continue to come at our nation. He's going to continue to come at this church. Well, what's going to be the difference between success and failure? I believe a major part is this perspective that we see in this first church. We're here for the Lord's pleasure. You and I can't add one, not one inch to our height. We can't add not even one second to the length of our days on this earth. No matter how, how healthy we are, no matter how hard we try, our days are already numbered. You and I can't hold on to anything that we have in this life. I don't care how safe and, 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 and how strongly we try to protect our, our family. And we, they're, they're, you and I are simply to trust the Lord. Because in one instant, I pray it doesn't happen to anybody in here, but in one instant, everything can be gone. It's a perspective. Let's make sure that we live with the right perspective. Understand that God is sovereign and that his will is to be accomplished and it can be accomplished even in our suffering. And this morning, if you're here, maybe you're watching online and you struggle with that and you say, man, I just, I, 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 don't, I, I don't have faith in God like that, then I want to encourage you I mean, come down to this altar, contact us. Uh, we want to have a conversation with you because it, uh, God loves you. He sent his son to die for you so that you could be rescued from this world, rescued from death, rescued from hell. And there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Again, he, he loved you, sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, was buried three days later, rose again, so that all would, who would put their faith in him would have eternal life. And if you've not surrendered your life to him, man, today is the day of salvation. If you are a Christian, if you've been saved, let's make sure that we're fighting the right battle. Let's make sure that we have the right perspective in the battle so that God can use us no matter what we go through. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do. We do thank you for your word. Thank you for this encouragement, this reminder this morning. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in this world. We get so wrapped up for living for this world. We have our jobs. We have our stuff. We have our relationships. We have all these blessings in this temporal world that you pour out. And sometimes our perspective gets turned to those things alone. And I pray that you'd help us not to do that. I pray we would have the right perspective, that we are just temporal, just in this, in this, in this world for a temporal season, just for a short time. I pray that we would remember that everything we have in this world, blessing-wise, comes from you. Lord, you have the right as God to give us blessings and also to take them away. Well, help us remember that there's one clear enemy, and that's Satan himself. You've given us the, the resources, you've given us each other to face the, the battle, to face his attacks and walk through them in a way that honors you and furthers your purpose. God, I pray you would help us respond rightly to this. Lord, I know there may be people struggling this morning. I pray maybe this morning they come and lay their burdens at this altar and truly give it to you once and for all. I walk away with that peace and that comfort that you give. We'll praise you for what you do. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to invite you to come.